The Open Nesters is a weekly podcast focusing on couples and individuals who are looking for new beginnings after their kids have left the nest. This week on the Open Nesters podcast with sexuality educators Reed Mahalko and Allison Moon. Watch out for this episode. Be prepared to open your mind to boundary-pushing sexual content. And if kids are within earshot, you may want to put in earphones. As a sex geek, I'm like, okay, so my penis isn't doing what I want it to do right now, but but I still have my hands and I've got two of them. <laughs> and I feel really confident about using them or give me the strap on, I'll buckle up. Like I'm, I have so many more options when I'm not spinning out and, and in some sort of shame spiral that I can be really creative and I'm lucky enough to have a partner and I have other lovers who are like, yeah, dude, it's not, we don't need your dick. Like we have all these other things we can do. Well, this episode, Tessa, is right about Valentine's Day, and it's a very daring one. It's one of the most daring one that we have aired, I guess, on the Open Esther podcast, right? I would think that is so true, and I wonder not just how people will respond, but I, I hope that what it mostly does is stretch you out of your comforts, because love and real excitement of life and the vitality of it comes from being out of those comfortable, comfortable places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, I, I suggest you might want to consider stretching, because I did. Here we go. Welcome to the Open Nesters podcast. Allison Moon and Reed Mahalko from Read About Sex. And Allison, you'll give us your website and all that stuff and stuff you're doing together later as well. I know that as Reed wears this sex geek shirt, I've seen him on that for years when I did my studies in sexuality and... Esther Perel, he's definitely done stuff on her panels. So I'm happy to meet Allison as well, because they both work in this field of elevating our sexuality. And we are talking about that in Act 3. Open Esther's, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Thanks Uh for having us. This is fun. We don't often do podcasts together. That's true. Yeah. Well, we like partnerships. I mean, we like to encourage partnerships of any kind, because I think, you know, as Esther says, the the quality of our lives is really dependent on the quality of our relationships. Mm-hmm. And so when you're bringing energy together, there can only be more, right? One plus one is not 11. It's one plus one is not two, it's 11. So good to see you both. And tell us a little bit about how you are, how you did come together to start working with either separately or together with especially people our age around elevating sexuality and pleasure. You want to start? That's a big, the big, big question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can, we can kind of tell. I think it makes more sense if we both tell like our, our little mini versions of our origin stories. Perfect. Perfect. Um, do you want to tell yours first, or should I tell mine? First? Go for it. I go for it. Um, so, like when I'm teaching, I, I've been in in sex education and relationship education now since I consider 2004 to be like when it all like officially started. I'm one of the uh, creators of Cuddle Party which was a non-sexual touch and affection consent workshop around boundaries and getting our non-sexual touch needs met. And that started in, in 2004. It started in New York City. New Yorkers are paying money to cuddle. And then that turned into a whole like news story back then that basically launched my career. But I always, I got clear pretty quickly that I wanted to get more into sex and relationships because that was where I was like learning and figuring out who I was back then. And that all stems from my mom and dad loved each other very, very much. They were of the generations where like they just didn't inherit any great communication skills from my grandparents. And this was the generation before it was okay to start seeing, you know, counselors and therapists and things like that. My mom would start self-medicating from the problems in their marriage with alcohol. My dad self-medicated with work. So I had an alcoholic and a workaholic for parents. And they loved each other tremendously and like they were madly in love and then they just ended up mad. And that became kind of my arc for figuring out like, how do I do relationships, but not destroy the people I love? Like I saw my mom and dad did to each other because I knew that love wasn't going to be enough. And then that would all eventually lead to me, like also figuring out who I am sexually and that I'm not 
straight and then I met Allison and I'll let I'll pass the, the <laughs> speaking dildo over to you. Sure. All right. Uh, yeah, so I'm a sex educator and author, and I started in sex education in the mid-aughts, specifically working with queer women and LGBT rights. And then uh, I met Reed soon after I started into that, that line of work and realized that there was a partnership beyond just kind of interested in each other's brains. Uh, so we started seeing each other, and we've been together for 15 years now. Yeah. And I think what's funny is a lot of people like we te we co-teach a lot of workshops and and appear at different events and we're also very much like our own educators. Mm -hmm. um, and so like it's always fun when we get to do things together. Like I'm like we're getting to talk on a podcast together. Yeah, this is our quality <laughs> time. Like teaching workshops together is like our version of going on vacation together. Yeah, I mean we like to mix work with pleasure and and sex education isn't necessarily the industry that people go into to become you know independently wealthy. Um, so there's always a sort of a hustle, but also like for a lot of couples I know who are entrepreneurs, some of them share businesses together um, and then some run their own businesses separately. But the household is an entrepreneurial household. So, you know, I think there's a lot of couples out there that are that are hustling to make ends meet or hustling to raise kids or whatever their hustle is. So there's also the, the dynamic of like, how do you make that work? And... I don't know, thrive, have fun, not be too angry at each other. Yeah, it's like shared interests and shared values, but kind of we and those overlap in terms of the way we execute them sometimes, but often we're doing our own thing, but we feed off of each other intellectually and in terms of our business as well. So it's kind of nice to have that in common, uh, being able to kind of share our goals that way. So what was the uh, most recent presentation you've done together? What subject matter? That well, it. it's, it's been the pandemic, so yeah. there was a lot of online stuff. No, we taught uh, oh. at the Bonobo retreat. At the retreat, yeah. yeah. We, we were at a, a sex-positive retreat. Which Folks, one? Which one? if you're which listening, one? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the Bonobo Network, which is a sex-positive community. But I was, I was going to say, uh, folk, if you're listening and there are kids in the room, you might want to send them out right now. <laughs> so we were, we were teaching at this weekend retreat of a community, a sex-positive community that's very pleasure-based a lot of people there are essentially non-monogamous. And so, Allison, what did we teach? So I taught a pegging workshop and Reed was my demo for that. Yeah. And then we co-taught our slut, slut light class, yeah. which is a really about kind of different disparate sexual self-expressions in relationships. So Reed is very much extroverted, very much identifies as a slut. I am very introverted and, and identifies as a slut light. And so how we manage our openness and our relationship and our polyamory in the, the while navigating the disparate sexual self-expressions that we share in relationship. My God, I would love to have been in that session. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're learning late in life, and that's what we're actually trying to help. And that's why I'm so glad you guys are here. And I want to I want to just acknowledge and recognize this. The fact that when you work together, there's oxytocin. And and that's mm -hmm. what I hope for couples where we've had a lot of couples about businesses or creating new together, like and generating new energy together, no matter where you are, if you can't go on vacation and you have to do it in a low cost kind of way, there are ways to do that. And so we'll hear about it in a sexual way, I hope, as well. Like, what? Where, how would you tell people to enter this arena if they have no idea and they're monogamous? And we have, we're poly, and there are a lot of poly people we've had on our podcast, by the way. So it's mm -hmm. not a new topic on our podcast at all. Um, so, But nobody passed the dildo speaking. No, and, 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 and nobody <laughs> taught tagging with each other. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so excited to hear more about it. I don't know how much you want to talk about, but I mean, we are interested. Is how we really fell in love. Yeah. <laughs> so, so talk about that. Talk well, about that. Okay, for, how you for the audience, for the people listening at home, who now have sent the children out of the room, what's pegging? Okay, so pegging... Right. It's a kind of a heteronormative concept, so I want to acknowledge that first. But it's generally when a woman puts on a strap-on and penetrates a man anally. Um, and again, like that, th those definitions of gender are very much up for grabs, but that's kind of the traditional, if you Google it, that's what you're going to see. Yeah. Um, and so for, for me, it was always an important part of my sexuality. Like strap-on sex was always part of my sexuality. And um, when I met Reed, I was identifying as a lesbian. And so for me, it felt a little bit nerve-wracking to start having feelings for a cis man and I didn't quite know how to how to deal with that and quickly quite quickly in our relationship it became clear that I mean we, I knew that Reed was queer and so we were able to kind of 
think through and talk about how different kinds of sex that we wanted to experience together. Um, and pegging was kind of the first thing we did together in some ways. And I, I really appreciated that because to me, it indicated that this was a cis man unlike any cis man I'd ever been with before. He was a man who was interested in being receptive and he was a man who was found it very arousing and exciting when I put on a strap on and when I was in a very dominant and top mode. And to me, that, that meant that he could see me in my fullness of my gender expression and my sexuality. And that's what really ultimately what made me fall deeper in love with him was that I could see that he could see me in a way that I hadn't felt seen by cis men before. So you really needed to let go of a lot of that. Like if you were queer, and it, it seems, you know, Reed was queer too. I don't know, labels we can put aside. Mm -hmm. And yet, just this openness of how even sex and even something that could be so like out left field for someone out there, but bringing something in that's always been and maybe taboo to you for something new with a relationship or within a relationship existing brings new new energy, yeah, and I, new love. I mean, part of what like when because we teach to a lot of different audiences. I'm a goofball, and so like I use a lot <laughs> of humor, and you know, also like kind of deconstructing a lot of the things the ways that we can be raised and that you just kind of don't notice that can be getting in the way of sex and intimacy and pleasure. Like I'll, I'll have a lot of, of straight men come up to me and they'll be like, well, if I, if I have my partner peg me, like, does that mean I'm queer? Like, am I, am I gay now? And I'm like, well, I mean, a lot of people would say you're probably not straight air, you know, air quotes, but who like pleasure is pleasure. Like, whether you like being penetrated or not doesn't mean anything about your actual orientation. Like, do you like fingers or dildos in your butt? You still get to be whatever dude you want to be. And when you start deconstructing identities and things like that, which a lot of, you know, marginalized folks and, and queer folks had to do, like even me, like deconstructing monogamy, when I was in love with the first love of my life and then fell in love with a second person, I could only reconcile that to mean that I really didn't love Lauren because how, cause Lauren, I should should be the only person I love if I really loved Lauren the way that I was raised. Um, and so then I had to start deconstructing like, well, what does that mean? Where did that come from? And who am I really? And what do I want? And so for a lot of, marginalized folks and especially folks who are queer like we needed to deconstruct some of the things that we were raised with to then like reassemble it to be the way that it worked best for us and that's kind of an act of reclamation so even for straight men being able to deconstruct that stuff you get to reassemble it and have it be like well i'm still straight and i'm like great and they're like i'm straight and i just like my wife to fuck me in the ass. I don't know how much we can swear on your show. You can bleep that out. But like, well you're like, I just like my wife fucking me in the ass with a strap on. I think it's hot and she thinks it's hot and it's great. And I'm like, awesome. You still get to be straight. Mm -hmm. You get to be right. whatever you want. I think that that's, I mean, kind of speaking to what you had asked, that's how the idea of, um, you know, being able to be in kind of a deconstructing throughout your entire life. I think a lot of us, we, we find an identity that works for us or we find a partner that works for us and then we kind of stake it in and we dig in deep and then we stay there for our entire lives. And we often don't give ourselves permission to kind of be in a constant state of unfolding. And I think one of the beautiful things about I mean, should we all be so lucky as to age, right? And that that is a, as a privilege denied to many. Those of us who are able to get to a place where we are finding new things about our sexuality and how our bodies change and how pleasure changes through us, particularly those of us who are, you know, have uteruses, like our hormones shift so dramatically throughout our lives that we might not only find that we desire things differently, but pleasure feels different. Different things feel different to our bodies as we get older. And I think to be in a partnership with someone who has grace and accepting of that, to be able to have a certain flexibility and to be able to reintroduce a beginner's mind throughout a relationship is a beautiful thing. To be able to say like, listen, I am 55 years old now and what, the way you used to eat me out isn't working for me anymore. Let's come up with something new. And to be able to have the trust to receive that and to share that with a partner is incredibly necessary 
necessary to foster a healthy sex life throughout one's life. And I think that I mean, what I love about you know non-monogamy and queerness, but this is something absolutely available to monogamous and um, straight people, is that it's kind of built into our identities, this constant evolution and flow. Mm -hmm. There is kind of queerness and, and non-monogamy invite change and invite kind of constant unfoldings. Um, and I think that straight people and monogamous people can learn from that and can introduce that into their lives too. Straight people should absolutely come out uh, as whatever they discover about themselves. And Which should... includes being straight. Right. And, and right. If, if anything, for some of our community, this the, like, you know, I, I walk amongst the sex geeks, um, if anything, some of what's edgy is monogamy now mm -hmm. and vanilla sex, you know, whatever vanilla <clears throat> sex is, because yeah. there's so many crayons in the crayon box of what we can be doing together. And, and also, like, I'll be turning 54 in a couple of weeks. And it's like, you know, like, I don't get my erection when like, I have hydraulic issues sometimes when I don't need them. And as a sex geek, I'm like, OK, so my penis isn't doing what I want it to do right now. But but I still have my hands and I've got two of them and I feel really confident about using them or give me the strap on. I'll buckle up like I'm I have so many more options when I'm not spinning out and, and in some sort of shame spiral that I can be really creative. And I'm lucky enough to have a partner and I have other lovers who are like, yeah, dude, it's not we don't need you, dick. Like we have all these other things we can do. But I still like every time that happens to me, I still have a wave of shame and insecurity come up because I was raised that a real man gets hard whenever it needs to get hard on demand. Yeah, stays hard. And then you don't come too soon and you don't come too late. And that's like but that's culture, you know, fucking with us. And not everybody has the um, the honor, or the privilege to hang out with people who help them start to deconstruct those concepts. And that's, I just want to that's say thank you for that, your podcast. Yes, that's yeah. what we're hoping is that by getting out of the assumptions of our programming and belief systems, these things can open new paradigms for our heart, minds, and bodies, and not having that label that is so harsh on us. And it's almost like I want people to breathe a sigh of relief, like, oh, okay. I could try something new and I yeah. don't have to be like weird. And it's okay if I find someone to communicate that about. Mm -hmm. And sometimes monogamy, we're and actually I want to tell you, but ask you about if you've been in retreats where there are monogamous and poly people and how that's integrated. Is that an issue at all for monogamous people to feel threatened? Like, how do you deal with that particular dynamic? Because we deal with it sometimes too as people not understanding. So they don't know how to ask the questions perhaps. I think sometimes it can feel uncomfortable for monogamous people to enter those spaces in the first place because they might f fear that they are going to be unwelcome or unaccepted or or yeah that their their relationship will be threatened where if maybe their partner finds themselves wanting to dive head first into something that they're not prepared for um so i'm always really uh, appreciative when monogamous couples or individuals show up at sex positive spaces like this because i think it, it does show a, a gameness and a willingness to explore um what what monogamy looks like for them and i think that's a real again like coming up coming out we have this assumption that like monogamy has to look one way and it certainly does not mm -hmm. and i think that, that right. i'm always really inspired by monogamous people who are trying to figure out what the boundaries of monogamy look like for them and sometimes using sex positive spaces as that playground to find out what those boundaries are for them i think it's a really helpful and educational thing like we like i i will often run and and host uh not during the pandemic but uh play parties you know what, what the kids are calling orgies these days and <laughs> Like, I love it so much when monogamous couples come to to play parties and they're like, we're monogamous. We don't want to fuck any of you, but we're here to watch and we're probably going to get it on with ourselves. So, like, just just want you all to know, like, we're not, you know, nothing personal if we don't invite you into our our two way. Um, but please carry on. Mm -hmm. And that just makes me so excited for them and i mean i taught a, a threesome workshop once and i had a couple there because we were asking people like what why did you come tonight what do you want to get out of tonight and they announced proudly like we are monogamous and we never want to have a threesome and like everyone looked at them like 
Why are you, Why are you here? Yeah. And then this was a couple that was like in their 60s, probably. Um, and they just looked at each other and kind of like hugged up and they're like, we just want to know we could. And the whole room was like, because like that was so hot. Yeah. But it also like people, they gave by sharing that this this idea or this opportunity that probably wouldn't occur to other people. Like, why would we go to a threesome workshop unless we want to have a threesome? Like for some people, all they need is to just know that they could. Mm -hmm. And that part was hot for them. And that was wow. a huge gift that they shared. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's so wonderful. I mean, and that's, that's the idea even of like places like Desire and Hedonism. Unfortunately, I don't think they do a good enough orientation at those places. But when we went there to start out and mm -hmm. we just did want to just kind of watch and it was, you know, eye candy for our sexuality. So that was kind of the beginning journey. And for some couples that do want to really stay monogamous and can explore it in those safe spaces, but having an educator ask you at the beginning, yeah, like, what is it that you want so that so that we can start bringing up right. what is it that we want even if we don't know and we're able to say i don't know but or and i'm just yeah. curious yeah, and just right. that's great to start there and right? for those yeah. of well, us who are it, visual and kinesthetic learners like sometimes we need to be in the space to see what's out there and what options there are like among and, real human beings and so going in the same community yeah. black-minded people mm -hmm. exactly yeah. yeah they need to be around that Yeah, people who and look and idea, talk like you yeah absolutely exactly and and the idea is Many of our listeners really have the time now. They are in the act three. They are in the open nesting stage. Kids are left in nest. Now they have time to explore. Now they have time to uh, check each other out. Let's try new things. Deconstruct, mm -hmm. as you say. And the idea that they don't have to be one thing or another, and they can go and explore other method of pleasure is just refreshing to know that it's available to them mm -hmm. and this is what we find we find a lot of people that a lot of couples that we talk to need that they need yeah. what you offer well and the other thing too i just want to add this in because this gets i think this gets skipped sometimes um because i think you know self-help and and self-growth especially in the U united states I, I won't speak for the rest of the world but there is a certain kind of it's all about your evolution and and what it ends up creating is like if you're not polyamorous if you're not into pegging if you're not going to the orgies or hedo um then you're not evolved as a couple and i just want to state for, for the record but like trying things and then having them having you not like it like for a couple to go to a, a play party and be like i don't think i like that like let's not do that again that's also a win that's a growth trying yeah. things and figuring out what you don't like and then never having to do that again is also becoming more evolved um so you're allowed to like what you like and also give yourself permission to not like what you don't like that i think is growth but i think sometimes we we forget that and we shame ourselves or sh you know or shame our relationship because we're not experiencing, you know, we're not into Tantra, we're not into this, we're not into that. It's like, well, it's okay like, to try things and not like them. Mm -hmm. And I just want to make sure that doesn't right. get missed. Mm -hmm. uh, and absolutely, that's a very important uh, point. I also want to make sure that our audience understand that we do not preach one way or another. We do not say that polyamory is the way for you to go and have live your life in Act 3. We're not saying any of that stuff. We just try to bring to couples in that stage, uh, the opportunities, what they can do, that there's hope after the kids have left the house, that there's hope. And again, you offer that, whether they're monogamous or polyamorous or whatever they want to express. And you you made such a great point with that. Do you have um, any, any success stories you could tell about seeing some transformation with people in our age group that you can speak of? I mean, yeah. I mean, well, so there's, there's you know, I mean, Allison's, you know, younger than I am. And I'm, as I turn, you know, 50, and now I'm almost 55, like, I can catch all of my, you know, ageist yeah. chatter going on in my head, you know, my body's changing. And I'm like, ah, um, so I think <laughs> I think part of the success stories, for me, when I'm working with people or seeing them in my in my classes is, however old you are, 
that you're even listening to a podcast like this or reading a book or curious about something, you know, maybe you're sneaking onto a website and you're, and you're nervous, like that you're even looking and, and searching and being curious, that, that's part of what's missing from so many people's lives. And that it really is, it sounds so cliche, but it's like never too late to start. And it's also normal and natural to have grief come up and be like, how come I didn't start this sooner? Mm -hmm. I think for some of us, like the conversations I'll have with people, whether I'm, you know, doing coaching with them or they're coming to a workshop or something, is they're like, how come I didn't, you know, how come I didn't come to this retreat sooner? Like, I feel like I wasted half my life. And I'm like, well, honor, honor that feeling and then get back in there. Like, we don't have children. If any of you listening, if you actually raised them and they and you kept them alive this long and they left the house, that is such a fucking huge, heroic, super <laughs> hero feat. Congratulations. You earned it. Now go have some fun. And try new things and getting out of our brain yeah. that's been so responsible. So I think the pleasure fun comes from, like you said, not having that agenda that you have so much responsibility around mm -hmm. and rather being able to enter that with a sense of fun and exploration and, and playfulness. I mean, that's what you're all about in the way you could feel that. So, so, and, it's a, and that's hard for people sometimes. They take it so seriously. Yeah. You know, they take entering those spaces so seriously. Well, it's, it makes sense, though, because in a certain way, right, like, you, you know, if we're trying something new, am I going to am I going to ruin the marriage? Am I going to ruin my partnership? All our insecurities come up. Well, just just the fear of discovering something scary, the fear of entering a threshold that you can't kind of undo. I think that's a really big thing. And I think actually might probably get harder as we get older, because again, we get calcified in our identities. Yeah. And then there's this fear that's like, what questions are going to arise if I discover this thing? Yeah. What what do I have to learn how to do now or how to be? Yeah, I have to learn all these new things. I mean, I have a lot of you know older straight friends who are like, I don't get the queer thing. I want to come to the orgy, but I feel like I'm going to fuck up and say the wrong thing and then it's like they kicked me out of grade school and i'm like yeah right. it feels like seventh grade on steroids <laughs> and then there's also the ticking clock of like how much more time do i actually have left to explore like like for me it's like it's weird but it's like how many more orgies do i get to go to before my penis goes completely offline <laughs> and i but the but the chat the difference is i can catch myself doing that to myself and on a good day, I can pause and be like, all right, I need to walk back out of this hole that I'm digging for myself. And then I can talk to Allison or talk to my friends or I can go to a therapist. Like therapy is really great, folks. Don't don't knock it till you try it. And, and I can try to untangle what I'm doing to myself that's actually not useful mm. without shaming myself for doing it in the first yeah. place. So the awkward, I see you have a little pillow back there. It's like embracing that awkward. And you said seventh grade, like, okay, yeah, this does not feel comfortable. I had it all organized and how I'm dealing with my life. And now I can't, now I have to feel awkward again. And, but where's, that's where the growth comes from. So I'd yeah. like you to speak to that for just a few more minutes and sure. also then hear about what you're offering yeah. for yourself. Well, so, I mean, I just kind of, this ties into your question about success stories. I taught a workshop for a group of women called Late in Life Lesbians, and this was all all women who discovered that their same-sex attractions after the age of I think 45 was there was their cutoff maybe 50. That was a room full of hope and full of joy and also full of a lot of regret and sadness. I held a woman who was in her 80s in my arms while she wept because she had never had an orgasm until she was with a woman for the first time. Yeah. And that was and she had her first orgasm at 78. It was such a beautiful, heartbreaking moment because she was weeping for all the time she had lost. But at the same time, she still had orgasms and pleasure ahead of her. Yeah. And it was a really, it was a, it was a very moving experience for, for me. And so I think that like there's this this notion that there is the, the awkwardness is like I my book Girl Sex 101 is a book about 
how to have sex with and as a queer woman. And this book often gets recommended by two women in their like later in life, women who who don't identify as girls by a long shot, right? And though I wrote it for the baby dykes in the world, like a lot of older women are finding it very useful because there's this assumption that they're in their 50s, they've raised kids, they should know all this stuff already. But here they are in front of a vulva for the first time, and they have no idea what to do with it. And so there's this like, these are women who are like, you know, at the top of their careers and like all this power and all of this intelligence. And at the same time, they feel like they're schoolgirls who just don't know what they're doing. And I love hearing those stories from women who, who email me and say like, you know, I never thought I'd appreciate this book, but oh my gosh, I understand vulvas now, or I understand pleasuring another person for the first time. And I love being able to, as an educator, give people that resource, but at the same time, like give them the permission to be the fumbling little does, you know, on their wobbly legs, trying to figure out how to run. Um, and I think that there's something really beautiful and charming about that. And I think it's what I like to encourage people to do is give yourself permission to be, to find the charm in that as well. The beginner's mind is a beautiful place to be. Um, but most of the time we don't give ourselves permission because we want to come out of the gate experts. But ultimately we should give ourselves permission to like, because those moments don't happen very often. And again, as we age, we lose so many opportunities to be new at something, wow. to be yeah. naive and to <clears throat> enjoy the beauty of naivete and to enjoy the beauty of discovering something for the first time. Don't skip that part. Don't rush through it to get to the expertise. Enjoy the pleasure of the first time. How many first times do we get and how beautiful they are to experience them? Amazing. Yeah. So do you have any workshops, Allison, for example, even online about around your book or discussion club groups for us to be able to promote? Oh, what a wonderful thing. Um, so my website is girlsex101.com. I do teach online workshops. I don't have any videos on my website yet, but I'm working on that. So if you want to just go to a workshop like you know, how to drive a Volvo or any of my 101s, you can find me there. I, I have one of Allison's oh, videos um, on my site. <laughs> uh, so my site's readaboutsex.com, R-E-I-D, aboutsex.com. And during the pandemic, and but this applies for a lot of people, um, I created a six-week course called Ready for Reentry. It was right after everyone was getting vaccinated and we're going to start like coming out and peopling again. And so Allison taught um, a workshop based on her latest book, which is... Getting it, a guide for hot, healthy hookups and shame-free sex. And the communication stuff and, and the, the dynamics that Allison talks about in getting it is that actually really useful for people who might be wanting to explore, like, dating again exactly. or, you know, kind of like opening up their relationships because a lot of the communication tools and emotional tools to navigate like opening up anything or getting back out there, which might include getting back out there as a couple into a brand new world because now the kids have left. All those things can be really useful and it's, it's great food for thought to have a lot of brain sex together as a couple about like, well, like, like what do you think about that in this chapter and what are the questions we can ask each other? Um, so in the Ready for Reentry course, we covered all kinds of stuff like online dating, like best practices and stuff like that. And like how to, if you want to keep it casual with people, like how do you keep it casual and not start falling deeply in love with the first person you go on a date with when you're trying to open up your relationship, especially in the pandemic when everyone's starving for touch and affection, like all these things we kind of navigate through Ready for Reentry just to kind of like help people during the pandemic. But it also is like, might be really good for people who are, are, you know, divorced or widowed. Re-entering, re-entering anything. Yeah, because right. they, the, the world of, of, of love and sexuality. So and you know, we the had exclusive of Allison time. video vi uh, <laughs> workshop <laughs> okay. is on my site. Okay. Yay. <laughs> so so we've had some interviews with people, just so you guys if, out there, if you want to look back about jealousy as well. Mm -hmm. And I think some monogamous people, when they are have that open mind, mm -hmm. for example, can learn a lot from the concept of compersion. So ha being happy for someone else's happiness is more of a polyamorous concept. Mm -hmm. And yet that is such a good concept for life. Mm -hmm. Like the openness of the concepts we're hoping to just put out there. And you guys have been magnificent in doing Aww. that. Thank you. Is there anything that you want to well, first ask? I, I wanted to ask, I mean, as, as both of you are, you know, coaches, therapist, so to speak, educator, educator, sorry. 
Uh, do you try to educate each other? I mean, is, is what's <laughs> oh, the I get dynamics all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, tell me about those dynamics. I want to I want to hear about that. Well, I've stolen some of my best stuff from Reed. I mean, like the content yeah. that I've written in my books is a lot owing to him for sure. No, I mean, I think we have learned a lot from one another for sure. I mean, again, we're we're 15 years apart, so I was. But we've also been together now almost 15 years. Yeah, so I was 25 when we met, yeah. um, and you, you were just about to turn 40. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there obviously we've gone through a number of life stages already together. Um, and so I I definitely felt like I mean. I think if anything, I think that my big one was that I learned what was really out there. I, I felt like I had to be binary in my gender and my sexual identity in order to find love. I had to be either lesbian or straight. I had to be cis or trans. There wasn't really anything in between for any of it. And I think falling in love with Reed gave me an insight into, not just because of who he is as a person, but who he attracts. Like I started, I, it was like, it was very much like a Wizard of Oz moment. Like I opened the door and suddenly all these colors had, came through and I got to see how people were living and how people were finding each other and how people were having sex and just developing relationships and those were things that were not really available to me um, and I, I definitely felt just like suddenly there were there was another way to be in this world and I'm really grateful for but that. But you were already non-monogamous you, you uh, it's just the lesbian I mean, world was different well, in I mean, LA. But, I mean I mean to say like I was non-monogamous but I didn't have a, the word polyamory yet I just cheated on my partners or we just kind of were casual but there mm -hmm. was no word for what I, there, I didn't know that there was a word for the kind of relationship identity I wanted. Mm. Um, so I think that kind of like there were clues, but I didn't really know that like there were, I mean, again, this was also before the internet got really good at like facilitating meeting people. So I didn't know. Yeah. We didn't have podcasts people. back then. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so weird to say, but yeah. So I think that, yeah, like it was a little bit like I tried finding communities, but it's like you had to be a lesbian. You had to be into leather. There were, there were specific things that you yeah. had to do in order to feel like get entry. And I think what I was seeing was the cusp of like queerness as an identity was also not really popular at that point like i started identifying as queer as soon as i understood the word and i had a, got a lot of pushback from my community and specifically my elders because that word is always was always a pejorative their entire lives and so right. to say to proudly identify as queer a mm -hmm. lot of people did not want that to associate with that mm -hmm. identity and so again like it's shocking to think of that now as queerness is like a, the word that we casually use in so many ways at least in our community Communities. It's still a slur to many people around the world. Um, but I think that like to see how quickly these things have changed and to mm -hmm. see how quickly we we are remaking identity and re remaking sexuality and giving each other options for being, you know, a hetero, you know, like older couple in the Midwest who suddenly is like, we're going to start to swing or whatever. Like that wasn't to the degree it is now, a, a thing that people could be proud of sharing. Yeah, it had to be something that was in the closet. Or not embarrassed about telling other people. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I, I am really grateful for how quickly this has shifted, um, but I also think it's important to remember how recent these shifts have been. How you could well, eat, I mean, you can still get fired in places for all sorts of things around your sexual identity. And I, I think yeah, it's like, you know, it's, it's fun to talk about, but it's also the reality can be really challenging. So being yeah. out to the degree that you want to be out or being in the closet to the degree you need to be is also those are valid choices that people yeah. have to assess for themselves and it might be okay, it might feel okay for your kid to be trans but then for you as Not the parent you. to start being like oh what about my gender like that can feel really scary because like what what are they going to say at the pta meeting mm -hmm. like there's right. there's all these social considerations um i know a lot of non-monogamous couples who who only attend play party events in other cities because they don't want anyone to know because for them you know it's it's a shame well it, it's a shame but also it's for some of them it's smart because they have a f you know fucked up ex who's just looking for a reason to try to take the kids away or whatever the thing is right. so like there's also some that's I, too I, I think another thing to just mention is like it's okay for you to want to keep your private life private mm -hmm. just because Alice and I are all over the internet <laughs> talking about orgies you're not broken if the smartest choice for you is to like no like our we're private like that's okay too like again it's it's that piece back to like you're not less evolved because you figured out what choices you really needed to make for yourself and i think it's just right. normal for us to compare ourselves to other 
people and maybe, oh, I wish we were like them, but like, do you. Like, that's what the world needs, like, is for you to figure out what works for you. And, and figure out is the key without even arriving because it's a journey and, and the communication is, is essential. And that's what I think we haven't been in a world like you said, the, a generation ab above you, but that's kind of some of this generation doesn't know how to say, what do you desire? How can I, how can I, how can we bring this to the surface? What's the first question that you even talk to about it with sex education for people to start asking each other the questions? What are some of those first questions? Oh, I think it's to me it can feel a little woo, but I think there's an element of learning to listen to one's own inner voice around what feels right. Uh, this inner sense of rightness, and I I encourage people before they even begin journey around exploring their sexuality or exploring externalizing their sexuality, to really kind of learn to listen to like this embodied sense of yes or no, like what feels like yes, this is what I want, and no, this is what I don't. And I think a lot of us don't ever practice just learning how to hear that uh, that voice. Um, and that voice is intuition, and intuition is often much quieter than the, the, the voices of instinct or react reactivity. Um, so I think learning to listen to that that sense of that yes, I mean, again, kind of going back to our story, I was a lesbian, I, I was lesbian identified when I met Reed, and I the easiest thing to do was be like, nah, I can't date a man because I'm lesbian, I can't do it. I feel something for him, but let's just quash that down because otherwise I'm gonna lose all these other things that I worked so hard for in my life, like my friendships and my, my community. And so I had to make a choice and I had to sit with that choice and really think in terms in, in my own heart about who I wanted to be and what life I wanted to lead. And in order to do that, I would have to give some things up potentially, including my community. Um, and I had to learn to listen to that voice and trust that voice that said, there's something special here, you need to pursue it. And even if that means letting go of some other things, it's the best choice is to pursue this. And that what I mean, that choice obviously paid off, you know, greatly. But I think that that I think everyone needs to give themselves permission to sit with that that feeling and to sit with those feelings of like, is this something I want to pursue? Is this something that's right for me in my life right now? Um, and to learn to listen to it, because that kind of skill set to hear your inner voice at times of great pressure, it can be one of the best things you can do for your sexuality to know what no feels like and to know what yes feels like. I love that. I mean, it's like the opposite of Glennon Doyle and her book covers that as well, coming the other way, but coming from being in a marriage to mm -hmm. having to struggle with wanting to come out and and, and live her life fully. Mm -hmm. It's It seemed that uh, Allison have, you know, dis deconstructed and were able to, I guess, learned so much in her relationship with you. There is one thing that you have learned from her that you can say that there's been a, a shift for you. <laughs> Why are you uh, laughing? <laughs> um, I mean, there's so many different answers to this. And I'm also like, yeah. I'm, I'm not just a queer, choose the best one. I'm not just yeah. a queer polyamorous <laughs> slut. I'm also a jackass. So like, the first yeah. thing that wants to come out of my mouth is not always the best thing. Um, Thanks for your restraint, my love. <laughs> the, the thing I think well, uh, I mean, a, a recent lesson for me. Yes, please. Um, with us during the pandemic, like I, I like to think about all the different permutations. Like I like run run simulations. Like how we do this, how do we do that? Like I don't want to. I want to talk and and over process most things. If you need to do something and we can't come to an agreement, I need you to go do the thing you need to do for yourself even if you're worried that I'm not going to be okay with it. And that is not how I like to do my poly. Wow. Um, and so it was really scary, you know, me making choices for my own well-being where we hadn't come to an agreement yet on how we were going to do that. It, it was, it was a sex thing. So just what, 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 when you, worried. when you say, when you say that's not how I run poly, what did you mean by that? I would like, I mean, it, I, it, to the best of my ability, I would like for us to hash out and figure out what makes us both feel safe and, and loved, honored, and cherished. So that's a phrase I use a lot when I'm teaching and coaching. And, and then move into the activity. Yeah. So like, I would like, what are our safer sex agreements going to be? 
if I'm going to go and start dating and, and sleeping with this person. And there have been things in our relationship that we couldn't quite get to a, a meeting place on. And I got to a place where I needed to go do some stuff. And I didn't like that we weren't on the same page. And Allison, you know, and you can correct me because you don't have a problem doing that. Um, <laughs> like if I'm not presenting it correctly, but Allison was like, no, like you go do the thing and I'll deal with it. And that was not okay with me, but I had the trust and we had had enough. Uh, Brene Brown talks about trust marbles and it's a whole thing. Go Google it. Um, but like we had enough, I had enough experience to take Allison at her word. Even when I'm worried, she's lying to me. And that lying is something from my family of origin. My mom and dad's challenge was a lot around the truth and dealing with the truth. And so like, I think that was, I mean, that's something very, very recent and still really fresh for me. And I, I still have a lot of feelings about it, mm -hmm. but sometimes we can't get on the same page. Um, well, and I, you know what what i'm impressed very much right now is because as being sex positive as you both are you still have so much more room to learn and 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 understand about sex and about your pleasure and about your relationship and about the growth and what is exactly feels right and i'm just very impressed with that i just wanted to make a note of that thank you that, that you still have room you know to to grow and to learn and it's this it's it's endless and it's limitless i mean there's the sky is the limit for that yeah well, something for, that's for what you can learn often said in workshops that i've always appreciated is that sometimes you don't know there's a boundary there until you run into it right like sometimes it's invisible and you beautiful you hit it face first and you break your nose and like that's just part of the skill set like oh there's a boundary there that i didn't see before and now we have to negotiate mm -hmm. that um i think actually well, COVID has been a great example of that's that beautiful. You know? like that's beautiful that is a, a beautiful beautiful statement mm -hmm. and, and you were saying about COVID because it yeah. pushes people's edges about starting to define where they're comfortable to take risks and mm -hmm. it's all about that yeah like and being able to be with discomfort is huge and and the nuance of this mess that you're able to enter when things don't feel prescribed and comfortable is so important for all of us in order for us to grow. Mm -hmm. yeah. So this has been so, so hard. Is there anything that you feel like you'd like to make sure everyone knows and that well, you'd like to? You know, or, or maybe there's one thing that you want to tell uh, a couple in act three of their life entering the kids are out of the house, you know, and they're contemplating having sex in the kitchen <laughs> or something like just <laughs> or, that, or just that, <laughs> just that, they're just monogamous and not monogamous. Yeah. If, what would one thing each of you can tell? If you have hardwood <laughs> floors or linoleum in the kitchen, <laughs> take your socks off. <laughs> Trying to have sex in the kitchen with your socks on, you don't want to slip and fall. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, safety. Well, I mean, safety third, I guess, but, uh, you know, make sure you have a secure footing. Yeah. No silicone lube in the that's, shower. That, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very good and honest tip. And Allison? <laughs> Gosh, now I feel like I have to follow it up with something equally jackassic. Um, <laughs> you probably get this one a lot, right? I'm, I'm sure I'm reiterating what many of your, your guests have said, but like, yeah. it's not too late ever 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 again i'm thinking i mean another small story from one of my, my one of my workshops is i, I actually had a nonagenarian come to one of my workshops and talk to me about strap-on sex and how, how he used to love getting pegged when he visited a certain sex worker he saw in paris when he was on leave in, during world war ii and i at, i took him for granted at first because he was dozing in my workshop i'm like oh who's this guy and then afterwards he stayed to, to show me the strap on that she used with him and and he held on to it for i mean again he, he held on to it for for decades and i think that like that that this the sexuality that one can explore throughout their lives is a constant unfolding and there is no destination ever you will never get to a place where you will have arrived on the mountaintop that just doesn't exist that's a myth what it what it is is a constant unfolding and to give yourself permission to constantly allow yourself to change grow explore i think that's the best thing we can all do for ourselves and also to encourage our the young people in our lives to to not calcify to not sit in one state and stay there mm -hmm. for the rest of their lives to to allow themselves the permission to continue to change and grow i i think and i'll and i'll end with something not jackassy um uh <laughs> it can be really hard to initiate those difficult conversations especially when you want to talk about you know, exploring something that maybe you kept silent for, for 
you know, decades. And there can be all the shame and feelings and insecurities that pop up. For me, one of the things I needed to learn how to do was have difficult conversations because my mom and dad would never have them. Then they would explode, yell about it, and then we would never talk about it again. So that elephant in the room would just always be there. So I, I eventually came up with something that I call the difficult conversation formula. And whether you ever have the conversation or not isn't actually the point. It's really about getting clear for yourself about what are you afraid of might happen if you started the conversation and what would you like to have happen if you initiate this conversation. And so there's a little article on my website and people can download a worksheet for free to practice this conversation formula. And it's um, it's readaboutsex.com forward slash convo, C-O-N-V-O. And, and read I would, is R-E-I-D, R-E-I-D. If, if you're yeah. it's like R-E-I-D. And I would, I, would, I would invite people to go check out that formula and practice with it because mm-hmm. odds are there's a conversation you're not having. Maybe it's with your spouse or your partner. Um, maybe it's with your boss or something like that. But, but getting clear about what you're afraid of and what you'd like to have happen, those two things can really help you start to understand yourself and getting all that anxious, nervous stuff out of your head and onto a piece of paper or a notebook or a journal, that can really help uh, lessen some of the fear because it's when you leave stuff just in your head and you never speak about it ever, that's where it has the most power to really fuck with you. Wow. Those are very, very important tips. I mean, I am so... I'm, I, I can't wait to get this on the air so our <laughs> audience can listen to this stuff now. I mean, now, don't wait. I mean, don't waste any time. <laughs> so we need to get it off the ground and we need to really uh, put it up there. And uh, uh, I, I, I just want to say again that your openness, your respect for each other, uh, your no shame and nothing to hide attitude is ad- admirable so inspiring and, and inspiring and, and for us as 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 you know being like-minded like you are and you truly truly walk the walk and talk the talk and it just uh i'm privileged and blessed to be just here with you listening to you and being in such authenticity that i have um uh, i thank you for that I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thank you both so very much. Before we summarize this wonderful episode, which, by the way, this was in this case, it was Reed 15 years older than Allison. Next week, you're going to have a woman, Lori Handlers, and her partner, Michael Gibson. They have a 21 year age difference. She's the older. She's the the elder. And I love sexy elders. And she is. And he teaches about extraordinary love that men and women can actually start to in, go down this path of being of being very connected in their lovemaking is that they take on the archetypes. And the archetypes would be, so Lori, I regard her as the goddess. When we're making love, she is the goddess to me. And to, to her, I am the shaman. I'm the one that's holding the space. I'm the one that's creating the magic and doing the the, the, and being present and holding safety for her and taking her along on this ride that her body wants me to take her on. Okay, back to the Reed and Allison summary. All of this makes us feel like we need to evaluate what we all want as we get older rather than being comfortable with what we know, which of course you and I know that we we have expanded more than a lot of other people. And yet there's always such a space for what do we not know about ourselves that we can open up to even at this age. So That's right. cool and exciting. So right. I'm, I'm still digesting the content of the entire um, interview. And I really going to listen to it over again and again. And that's why I wanted to get it on the air so fast because so many of our audience can benefit from it. They are talking about sex like they're talking about a cooking class. So with such an ease, with such a comfort and confident about who they are, being authentic to their ideas. It is just impressive to meet people 
that can do that without any fear or shame. Don't you agree? It gives us the permission. And that's what I hope this podcast does for more people is to give us the permission to stop thinking we have to be a certain way and that this stage of life can open things up. I mean, even her discussion about having to leave her lesbian community, which was probably so difficult. Sometimes we have to do the hard things and doing the hard things opens and frees us. That's the liberation that you you feel in their voices and that I want to encourage us more to do and, and to consider these difficult conversations that Reed talks about. There's always more. There's always more to explore. Absolutely. You see, for me personally, it opened up a lot, a lot of opportunities, a lot of, I guess, self-talk that I had with myself. I now have permission to feel that way and because pleasure is pleasure, and your act do not determine your orientation. <laughs> That's exactly it. You can be the dude, and I'm quoting greed, you can be the dude that you want to be anytime you want to be. And I, I like that. That was very, very refreshing to me. And, and hanging with other people that help us deconstruct that is essential. So that's why they were saying Absolutely. going into spaces that perhaps you're not going to be comfortable. And we could always say, well, yeah, I don't have to do that. And you could step back afterwards and, and feel like you still are evolving because you're trying new things. And that's not the easy place to be. That comes from discomfort. And we need to look at that idea that how do we have that beginner's mind to trust ourselves again and then be able to communicate that clearly. And that's what I love about this. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many quotes that, uh, that, we, that we wanted to take for, for that. But I'm going back to uh, the permission to allow you to like what you like and permission to not like what you don't like and do, without any shame of yourself. And that's okay. And that is a big opening for me and I'm sure for a lot of other other, Sh- uh, shame is huge and I yeah. know that there are people out there with trauma and so that there's so many it's compiled and that's why we ask you know we're not yeah. we're not experts we're not sex therapists neither were they no we're not and we definitely believe that sometimes there are things you have to deconstruct before you can step into these spaces that challenge us too much and yet there's it's the little nuanced things you could try at home too yeah <laughs> right because you know you, you gotta break the norms because <laughs> because culture is fucking with us to quote to quote read exactly and you know what i really like from the whole thing that is uh very was very meaningful for me is that sometimes you don't know that there is a boundary till you run into it right and <laughs> and that is a skill set to understand and know how to deal with a boundary okay we didn't know about boundary and we had many in our relationship uh, when we started specifically uh, early on that we had boundaries that we didn't know and when we realized that there is a boundary we had to sit down and talk absolutely that's what created better communication exactly. and the change is what creates exactly. the change creates the change so you know we could be nervous about that and i do also think that that's a big part of life too just being that that comfort place that we just want to stay safe companions as our kids go off and and leave us in the nest and we can travel more and do fun things and yet the vitality of our lives the eros the life force it doesn't have to just be sexual and i do want to make sure that that's clear in order to push open new spaces for ourselves to stay vital and and alive and excited that requires sometimes pushing up against the boundaries and being set back for a moment. So boundaries is a positive things rather than a negative thing. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. So I hope that a lot of our audience will benefit tremendously from this particular episode with Reed and Allison as much as I personally benefited from and as far as as much as Tessa and I benefited from. And I urge you to listen to it again and share it with anybody that you know that can benefit from it. Visit our website, theopenesters.com. That's double N in the middle, S at the end. Perhaps you know someone that can uh, be relevant to our audience and like to be interviewed on our podcast. We'd like to hear from them. And you'll also get in our resource page, if you go to The Open Nesters, all of the information as well as in this blog about Reed and Allison, her book, and his discussion questions. So make sure you visit and Please do join us on social media, Instagram, The Open Nesters, as well as our closed Facebook page and our regular pages for the discussions, because we really, really want to engage that this community is a safe place for you to feel like you have a place to explore. 
And absolutely, if you're an act three, go try to find some more pleasures. As Reed said, time is running out, and <laughs> we would love to see you on the next episode. This is Amir. And this is Tessa. And we are celebrating, celebrating Valentine Month on the Open Nesters. With this amazing ranking we got from, uh, we'll exactly. repeat it again, from the Good Pods podcast surprised us in January with being ranked 18th of relationship podcasts hey, maybe and we are top even, 100. So maybe we're even uh, higher than 18 now, but who knows? Well, we are excited <laughs> and happy to bring you this amazing episode. Thank you, Reed and Allison, and thank you to our amazing, incredible listeners who really are the ones that are making this podcast grow. Anyway, as we said, this is Amir. And Des is here too. We'll see you on the next episode. You have been listening to the Open Nesters Podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio engineering by Lucid Sound. Web design and blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.